name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and through ages of ages. Amen. Today we uh, come to the uh, beginning, the fifth week of Lent. Uh, we begin it always with uh, St. John Climacus as the centerpiece um, of our uh, Sunday service. St. John was a 6th century, the end of the 6th century monastic. Became a monastic at 16 and lived till 80. Uh, Mount Sinai wrote uh, The Ladder of Divine Ascent. Um, there's a great story about Mount Sinai when St. John was the abbot there. There was one day a... Um, an Israelite serving them, serving the tables. And nobody had seen this Israelite before, dressed in Israelite clothes, and they didn't understand who he was. And so they went to uh, search him out at the end of the meal, and they couldn't find him. And they came to the abbot, Saint Father St. John, and said, who was this Israelite? So, oh, that was Moses. This is his home, and he comes every once in a while to visit us. <laughs> We need to go to that monastery. So St. John, a great ascetic and a great uh, leader of the spiritual life, the spiritual struggle. There's a great, uh, um, I think, axiom that's important when we look at asceticism and the ascetic struggle. Asceticism has neither sense nor value if it is not ex an expression of love. Think about that that asceticism, any ascetic practice we have, has little sense or value unless it's an expression of love. You know, God came to love us and we to, our love, to love back. To love him and to love our neighbor. So anything we do that's not an expression of love is senseless and without value. We have to understand that. You know, we see that from St. Paul. It's a noisy gong, bang, bang. We can do all the miracles in the world, but if it's without love, it's just a noisy gong. So for us, the love of God is such a critical piece to understand how much God loves us so we can begin to express that love outward. We should be overwhelmed with how much God loves us, overtaken by that. You know, does God love you? Well, yes, he does. We should be, it should be deep in us to the point that it brings us to tears. And, and if any way we offend him in any way, we should be on our knees begging forgiveness because he has done so much in his love for mankind. So what I want to do is take a look at both the epistle and the gospel today in regard to God first so loved us. How much does God love us? So look at these texts and in that relation. First will be, he is our anchor and our hope. Second, he accepts our faith along with its weaknesses. And he desires the best for us. His will be done. Okay, so first, he is our anchor. In the epistle it says, St. Paul says, he's a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. We, I remember one time we were, at a, uh, we were on a cruise ship and the ship was in the dock 
and I went out and looked at the anchor. Have you ever seen those cruise ship anchors? They're like 20 feet tall and 50 feet wide. That's a massive piece of steel. Man, nothing's going to move that thing when it's in the ground. It was like a picture of Christ that this is, he's, he is our anchor. In him, he anchors us. He anchors our soul to goodness, to patience, to the virtues, to love. He, he holds us down in that as a firm anchor to our souls. We need to understand that, that that anchoring in him keeps us from the winds that blow. St. John of Chrysostom on this text says, uh, even if 10,000 winds agitate, 10,000 winds agitate, we're not moved because Christ is the anchor of our soul. Very important for us to understand that. Because he loves us, he becomes in our anchor, he becomes our refuge, he becomes our respite, he gives us courage, he gives us strength. So lean on that. Turn to Christ. Let him anchor you. Let him keep you solid. No matter what comes, we don't need to be blown by the winds if Christ is our anchor. Then St. Paul continues, he says, he's our hope. We look at the past and all the prophecies that lead up to Christ's incarnation, and we look at his Life on earth is defeating death and being raised from the dead and our, our entrance into the kingdom through baptism. And we see that the realities are present. He is our hope. He has won the victory over sin, Satan, and death. And in our baptism, we have participated in that victory. So, uh, every time I think about this, I think about a time years ago, years years ago, when the SC football team was actually good. Um, Dan and I were out of town, and uh, we didn't see the game. But I said, Dan, I said, we're missing that game. He said, don't worry, Father Nicholas, I taped it. I said, okay, great. So the next day, it was a Saturday game, so Sunday after church, I came to watch the game. I knew who won. It was a close game. It was like nick and, nip and tuck all the way down to the end. And it looked like SC was going to lose. And then they win at the end. I knew they were going to win. I was totally relaxed. I was going, oh, this doesn't matter. This, this problem, this, oh, we fumbled. That's okay. Oh, they intercepted a pass. No problem. We won. You win. You won. You have defeated in Christ sin, Satan, and the devil. You have a place in the kingdom. God says, I go to prepare a place for you. You're winners. No matter what happens, the game's over. Victory's won. Live in the victory. Live in the victory. That's such an important thing for us. We keep thinking we're going to lose. You're, no, you won. Christ became, he entered through the veil. He ascended into heaven. We see, the apostles see this. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. So when you die, this is where you're going. We need to have the hope of victory in Christ. 
We're, we won. The, game's, the game has been won. We just need to, we need to walk in the victory. Walk in the victory. So that's really a critical piece for us. So our faith, he accepts our faith. So this is the first. He's our hope and our anchor. Second, how much he loves us. He accepts our faith along with its weakness. This is one of the most beautiful and touching parts of the scripture to me in Christ's encounter with, with, uh, with the people. That the father is distraught about the condition of his son. And he goes with an incredible hope but, and a belief that Christ can do something here. Obviously, his apostles tried, and they couldn't do anything. So there's a little bit of despair here. Can he be healed? And so the Lord says, yes, he can be healed. Everything is possible with God. Do you believe? And he says those beautiful words, I believe, but help my unbelief. And what did Jesus do? He accepted that. He accepted that statement. And he said, your son is healed. He didn't say, go away and leave me alone until you fully believe. <laughs> when we come with even a little bit of faith, he responds with an amazing amount of grace. Just a little bit. When we come in prayer, just dragging ourselves to prayer, dra dragging ourselves to intercede for something, he pours out an immense amount of grace on us. Is this not the continual teaching we get in the scriptures? This is not the only incident that teaches us this. The prodigal son, he wastes his living, wastes, wastes his life and wastes his father's inheritance. And on his way back home, when he comes to his right mind, he says to himself, oh, I, all I want to be is a servant. Just make me a servant. I'm not worthy to be a son anymore, but just make me a servant. And what's the father do when he sees him coming before he even gets to the house? The father runs out to him. This little bit of faith. I just want to come back and be in my father's house. That's all I want. He comes out. Father drops to his knees, kisses him on the neck, brings him back into the house, puts a robe on him, ring on his fingers, sandals on his feet, brings him back into the family, kills the fatted calf, and they have a party to celebrate the one that was lost and now is found. Little bit of faith. The, just, the publican and the Pharisee. The publican sat in the back of the church. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. That's all he could do. The only thing he could offer was his repentance. And what did God say about him? That one goes away justified. He justified him. He forgave him in his repentance. Just a little bit of effort. And the one that always blows my mind is a thief on the cross. <laughs> he says, just remember me in your kingdom. Just remember my name. Mention my name. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. A little bit. The amount of grace God responds to us for a little bit of effort. What love. What an amazing love that is for us.
I think we need to be overwhelmed by that love, by that response God has to us in the little bit. And then finally, uh, he loves us because he desires the best for us. You know, sometimes we think we know what's best, but God knows best. His will be done. You know that, that line at the end uh, of the, of the, of the uh, text today that it, uh, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. I read a neat little, uh, on the, in the year of the grace of the Lord, uh, an explanation of that, that this is not a magic formula. Okay, this is what I want, so I'm going to pray and fast, and this is what I'm going to get. Okay? Okay, what do you want? Okay, this is what I want. I'm going to pray and fast for this thing, and this is what I'm going to get. That's not the program. The monk who wrote the book says this. He says, when we pray and fast, we begin to renounce ourselves. We begin to develop a spirit of humility. We begin to trust in God. We leave the mercy of this circumstance to God and we begin to truly pay, pray, your will be done. So prayer and fasting isn't the magic formula that gives God the, uh, the okay. It actually allows us to move our will to the will of God. When we pray and fast, our will will be moved to God's will will begin to pray, His will be done. Lord, this is what I want, but Your will be done. We begin to not only desire the will of God, but we begin comforted by the will of God. So that's what prayer and fasting does. It actually brings our soul into a place where we are conforming it to the will of God. A beautiful thing. So when we pray and fast, our, our soul is moved to that place where it says, God knows best. God knows best. Lord, you will be done. Do what you need to do that's best in this circumstance. Your will be done. So, for us, beloved, may we understand how much God loves us in this day where we celebrate St. John. That he is an anchor and a hope in our life. That he accepts our faith even with its weakness. And that as we make our ascetic effort with prayer and fasting, our will, we pray, is conformed to his, and we begin to find comfort in that prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.